Hey, want to take a walk on the wild side and experience the bleeding edge of technology? Then get ready because it doesn't get much more edgy than this. You're in for a wild ride. You're listening to Sovereign Tech with your host, the man in triple black, the golden stallion of the tech world, Brian Sovereign. He's got a huge brain. And now, here's Brian. Ready to spill the seed of liberty all over the place, wherever I can. You know, Sovereign Tech is on over like 50 countries. There, at least, it's on in just about any country that the internet is, but uh, it's listened to, as far as I know, in at least uh, a good 50 some odd countries. Some of them are listed as parts unknown. And uh, up until recently, I wondered if that was the ultimate warrior that was listening, but uh, but he died, uh, unfortunately. So <laughs> um, anyway, uh, maybe it's hell. You know, I, I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, I imagine uh, everybody's a big fan of me down there. Um, anyway, we've got so much to cover. Uh, I want to warn you ahead of time that I'm going to be talking about some very uh, controversial topics throughout this. And these opinions I want to make very, very clear are entirely my own. They are not shared by anybody else. Uh, I mean, unless they want to share them, but, but otherwise it's just me saying them. And uh, also, you know, I, I want to, I want to kind of lay it out to you that, that I might sometimes on this show, I can get a little heated up uh, and that may occur in this very episode, full disclosure, just getting that out there anyway. <laughs> so let's get into our rapid fire stories, uh, because, again, we've got a lot to cover. And one of these stories, the first story I'm going to tell you about, I am so excited about. You cannot imagine uh, how badly I want this, what I'm about to talk about. And what it is, is that HP. Now, I could care less about HP, you know, whatever they are a mediocre computer brand, uh, you know, whatever it's HP, but anyway, HP is coming out with what they're calling the slate book 14. This is a 14 inch laptop has multiple USB 3.0 ports, uh, two gig of Ram, you know, it has, uh, uh, beats audio. So, you know, that's about the, that's like the same audio that they put into, well, you know, beats, come on, Dr. Dre, you know, they put in the M eight, they put in all these different things. Uh, you know, uh, a 1080p screen, supposedly got a nice, you know, front camera. I don't think it has a rear camera. It might have wanted that, but has the forward facing camera, all the goodies, but here's, here's the first part. It has a Tegra chip in it instead of an Intel chip. You know what I'm going to say next? That's right. It runs Android. Oh man. Yes, 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 yes. I want this an Android laptop. Now it's been tried before. There's also, uh, the Asus or the Asus, uh, the, what is it? The, the transformer infinity, the TF uh, 301, 701s, all those models, they were kind of already that, um, but they were smaller They, you know, they're like a 10 inch and this is a full on 14 inch Android laptop. I think this might be one of the most exciting things to happen to computers, to computer hardware in a really long time. I talked before about how there's like Android, um, what was it? Android PC there, Android X86. That's what it was. Android X86. We did that for software of the week, a couple weeks back. 
And that's exciting too, you know, because then you could put it on almost anything. But this is coming out with it already there. Google's certified it, so it's going to have the Google Play Store on it, all the goodies. Uh, I can't wait. I really love the idea of this. I wish it had more than two gig of RAM, but that's fine for Android that, you know, that, that runs perfectly solid. And I think a lot of people are going to say, well, Hey, wait a minute, but you can't really multitask on that. Well, two points. One is that multitasking, I think is, uh, is, is kind of, um, overrated. Uh, I, I, I really do. Uh, and, and, but I mean, then the second point, you know, I think you can get more done if you're really concentrated. That's one of the things I love about my Chromebook is that it's very single minded, single task, you know, and, and so you end up doing that task really well. I think, uh, the other point that I want to bring up is that there are a lot of, a lot of apps out there and there's web browsers and all kinds of things that are being designed to where they work multi-window, uh, even like, like the new Samsung, uh, galaxy notes, the, the big ones, the tablets, they are designed to where you can multitask. So multitasking is something that's happening with Android. I have no idea why a lot of tech writers who were announcing that this week about the, the Slatebook 14, why they were going on and on about, well, you can't multitask. They should know better than anyone that you can multitask. So maybe they just have a, have a hatred for HP or Android and, uh, you know, and they, they just, for some reason, they, they, they want to knock it. I have no idea. Anyway, so I'm really looking forward to that, to have the Beats audio and all that stuff. Oh, man, this is going to be classy, classy business. Uh, no price point yet. We don't know. But if, if, it keep, if they keep it under 400 bucks, this thing's going to sell out the door, in my opinion. Uh, maybe better than any Chromebook, though. Chromebooks are still what's taken over in a lot of the enterprise and the education space. So my prediction of Chromebooks taking 40% this year, I think, is still going to hit pretty close to mark. Anyway, uh, Facebook, they had their F8. We're going to talk more uh, about uh, social media here in a minute. But at their F8 conference, which is pretty much going to be now it's their it's like their version of Apple's WWDC, uh, their version of Microsoft Build, their version of Google I.O. They're going to hold it every year now, they announced. And at this one, they said that they're going to that they are allowing for anonymous logins so essentially, if you use a service like, say, SoundCloud, and it gives you the option to log in with Facebook, what Facebook will allow now is for you to choose what information you share with the company that you, uh, you know, that, that you log into Facebook with, with the, or with the other, whatever, you know, the, the other website uh, or service. Okay. So, but we might want to be wary about that. And I want you to listen to Hacker Stories this week to find out more about what exactly logging in with other services, the possible dangers of that, because the internet got one hell of a hit again this week following Heartbleed. So anyway, um, let's see, uh, talk about another hit. Don't use Internet Explorer. <laughs> I mean, who, who uses it anyway, right? Uh, but, you know, Internet Explorer version 6 to version 11, which is the latest, they all found out that there was a very, very nasty bug in it that um that the microsoft admitted that that there is and and they're not going you know they're trying to to fix it fast but uh it sounds like it's pretty critical so do not use internet explorer you could be you know leaking all kinds of information uh hackers could essentially what's what's happening is is that essentially uh, you know crackers could you know use malicious code and run almost any code they want to in internet explorer and then they could you know, grab all kinds of personal data about you. So, uh, yeah, don't use Internet Explorer. You shouldn't be using it in the first place anyway, but if you needed more reason, here's your reason. Run away. Uh, maybe this is a good thing that, uh, when, you know, I don't know necessarily if this affects Windows Phone, but maybe this is a good thing that, that Google is developing Chrome for Windows Phone. 
Uh, speaking of another browser, maybe one you want to try out if you're going to stop using Internet Explorer, Firefox 29 is released. And I'm shocked that they that they made it for Firefox 29 to do such a big change. Firefox 30, I would have thought, would be like, you know, that it's kind of a totally arbitrary number, certainly, but it seems a little more fitting to say, well, version 30, we changed it all because Firefox changed a lot. In fact, it looks a lot like Chrome right now. Uh, it runs pretty fast. I've messed with it. Uh, I, I was I was, you know, the, the look of it, everything, you know, was was pretty pleasing to the eye. Uh, I don't know. I, I kind of enjoyed that Firefox still had that that sort of blocky get things done look instead of the kind of the sleekness of, of Chrome. But I guess, you know, they they're hoping people will want to use it. And maybe they're hoping that will people will get on someone else's computer, open up Firefox and think that they're feel like they're in Chrome. And they'll be like, oh, this is just like Chrome. This is great. I'll use Firefox or something. Uh, and, and so check it out. I mean, Firefox is, you know, Edward Snowden really laid it out very, very well. When he said, because I think someone asked, asked him essentially, you know, what, what do I use? Should I use Chrome or Firefox? He says, well, he says, it's a trade-off. One offers privacy, the other offers security. And those are two separate things. And of course, Chrome being the one that offers all the security, Firefox being the one that offers the privacy. Uh, and so take your pick. You know, I, I think most people are really looking for security, honestly, more so even than privacy. Uh, and so, you know, a lot of people use Chrome, but Firefox 29 looks great, runs smooth. And of course it has all the really great, uh, you know, Firefox extensions that, that, that are just their add-ons that are, are phenomenal to use. So check that out if you haven't in a while. Uh, and here's a couple other fun little stories that I liked. Apparently on Mars now, scientists are saying that there could have been water just 200,000 years ago. Oh boy. And, uh, Keep a listen to listener email if you want to hear some more on this. But uh, hey, that's, you know, before they were saying, yeah, we don't know if there ever was. Uh, if there was, it could have been, you know, millions of years ago. But now they're saying, yeah, just up to 200,000 years ago, there could have been water on Mars, which is, uh, you know, that, that raises some interesting questions, at least for me. Um, and here's the last one, a little sex story for you. Watermelon juice. Ooh, do you like the taste of watermelon? I'm not like the biggest fan of the taste. But apparently, watermelon is, uh, you know, some scientists have concluded that watermelon is very much nature's Viagra. Oh, yes, it allows the blood to flow very well, uh, you know. <laughs> so you, you can go all night if you want. Anyway, maybe. Test it out and feel free to let me know. Be anonymous if you want. It's fine. <laughs> I haven't really tested it yet if watermelon really does that wonderful thing, but I'm not really the best case study. Uh, because, you know, anyway, um, let's get into our main story of the week. And I'm going to talk about I, I want to talk about uh, social media. Last week, I mentioned during rapid fire stories that Google Plus may be essentially and this is TechCrunch's words, uh, Google Plus may be the walking dead. Uh, Google Vic, uh, Vic Guntura, he's he's gone from Google. And he was kind of the main driving force behind Google Plus. And so a lot of people are theorizing that that Google's going to end Google Plus. Um, and I want to talk about, you know, kind of social media in general here, too. But but to, to give you my thoughts on, on the whole Google Plus thing, um, I was concerned that that it was going to be a dead deal, too. And, and, it, and it might be, you know, because Google this this is the problem. You really can't predict because Google has. Uh, 
kind of a split personality, it seems, when it comes to services, because there's times where they'll just kill something or stop supporting something completely out of nowhere, even if it's even if it's decently popular, like uh, Google Reader. OK, the the RSS feed uh, reader, you know, they, they just they just said, yeah, we're going to can this. And a lot of people really liked Google Reader, uh, you know. And so, of course, the reason they canned it wasn't because it wasn't useful. They canned it because they were trying to get people to use maybe Google Plus. So they will end things. But at the same time, a lot of services also, you know, they think of like Buzz or Wave, right? Those are gone. Um, at the same time, they will keep some things perfectly open like uh their original um social media network that they created or maybe not the original but one of the first social media networks that they created was orkut that's o-r-k-u-t orkut still supported orkut still developed for it's been around for wow seven eight years i mean a really really long time so my point in that is that there's times where they will just let stuff. I mean, and they, I don't, as far as I know, they haven't done any big changes with Orkut. I haven't messed with it in forever. There's, you know, there's no point. There's already, I already have too much social media in my life, frankly. Um, but so Google will let something just keep on going. Now people would say that Orkut's the walking dead. Yeah, maybe, you know, uh, and so this could happen with Google plus I use Google plus quite a bit. Uh, and so what, what most people are theorizing though, with Google plus is that they're actually just going to kind of re, uh, re on ironically, re-decentralize, uh, the services that Google plus is interconnected with that, you know, maybe they'll have YouTube comments be taken away from Google plus again, which I'm sure a lot of people would be very, very happy about. Uh, maybe the comments on blogger will be taken away from Google plus maybe, uh, uh, you know, some other services that are all interconnected would, would disconnect you know, from that central hub of Google plus. And that's entirely possible. And I really, actually, I really wish it would happen. Like I would love to have a separate Google play games account that did not require Google plus. Like I said last week, um, if it wasn't for Google play games, I actually wouldn't use Google plus at all. Uh, I wouldn't even use it for photos. I'd either just do my own backups or I'd use uh, Amazon has a fantastic uh, photo backup service that uh, that they offer on ios and android i i love that so i i just i do something else okay um so you know i don't know but i mean i still use google plus google plus communities are awesome hangouts is actually getting a lot better and this is the one where i think a lot of people feel that you know there needs to be a separation of sorts because i think a lot of people use i mean hangouts is pretty much the default messenger app now by and large, if you have a Google certified Android device um, and Hangouts is, you know, I hated it for a very long time, but now it's starting to actually work really, really well as they continue to update it. And everything is starting to centralize into a Google Plus or not Google Plus, but Google Voice will be working into it. Uh, and so Hangouts might end up being its own kind of social thing and there and it won't be attached to Google Plus as to where right now they're really part and parcel. And, you know, I, I mean, that's that's what that's what people are, are expecting with all of this stuff. But and maybe they're right, because also we got the hint from Facebook at F8 that Facebook is going to keep everything sort of separated. And so far, they've done a pretty good job of that. Uh, Facebook has not really integrated. Yes, it's easy to share to Facebook from Instagram, but Instagram, which I 
probably my favorite social network out there right now. Uh, Instagram, you know, is not directly, it's in no way affected by Facebook. Um, and no one's, you know, as far as I know, Facebook's not really making a whole lot of changes behind the scenes there either. And so people are realizing that everybody wants these, you know, everything's going mobile, right? Sure. I agree. I think that's accurate, including gaming. Talked about that months ago. Uh, you know, all kinds of things. Everything's going mobile. Okay. Sure. I'll, I'll accept that fact for better or for worse. Okay. And on that mobile platform, clearly what people want are not, you know, do all apps or do all social networks. They want, you know, Cadillac services that do one th- Cadillac apps. Okay. And when I say Cadillac, I mean, creme de la creme, top of the line, you know, world-class service. They want Cadillac apps that will, you know, th- that, that just do one thing and do it really, really well. And so people don't mind having a bunch of different apps, ironically. And this is good. I'm glad because this is, this is part of decentralization, right? So, you know, that's why Instagram's so popular. In fact, Instagram's so popular. There's more mobile users of Instagram than there is a Twitter. That's amazing. And also to bolster the fact that Facebook doesn't have a whole lot of involvement with Instagram is that in China, you can use Instagram, but you can't use Facebook. I know that most people would be like, oh, what? You know, that doesn't make any sense. So, you know, th- this, this, is, this is what's, what's happening. And so for Google+, Plus to want to follow the same idea where like Facebook is trying to be a a cross platform platform, you know, Google's probably trying to do the same thing and they're already well ahead of the game as far as if they wanted to do that. And they just wanted to separate their services some more, um, you know, to, to essentially be the plat, you know, the coding platform for all of these different things. And so, you know, that, that may be the way it goes. In fact, Julie O'Dell, she equally, uh, great, great tech writer, uh, tech journalist. And she, actually said that she heard years ago when Google plus was first coming out that she heard in conversation where they said that it was not a social media network, that it was just a platform for these services to kind of interconnect at. Okay. And that it was never meant to be a social media platform. And maybe that's true. You know, I, which kind of sucks because as far as like social networking goes, Google plus is amazing. It has the, just the best features. I mean, Facebook is still catching up as far as features that Google plus has. Uh, it's, it's, it's one of the best, you know, platform or not platforms. It's one of the best networks I've seen. And it has like Google plus is almost like its own operating system with all the options that it has. And, you know, maybe there's something there. Maybe that's what Google plus was eventually supposed to be was actually the entire operating system more. So like, this is what would happen. Right. And I'm theorizing here. Okay. I don't have a whole lot of evidence to back this up, but then in the tech world, that's kind of how it is because everybody tries to keep their trade secrets, but maybe Google plus was that place where, you know, that exists within HTML five or whatever, where Chrome OS and Android would literally come together. Okay. Because at one point, you know, Google plus was also a gaming platform, you know, it had the games just like, just like Facebook does. So maybe that's where all that was supposed to coalesce and Google plus, you know, I mean, like, and think about the, think about the, you know, I hate Gmail. I mean, like just the design of Gmail, that's all I'm going to, you know, whatever the fact that, that Google's reading your emails, blah, blah, blah. Look, anybody that has a spam filter on their email address, they're getting their emails read. Okay. So Google's not the only one pulling that stunt. Um, That's not what I'm talking about as much as I don't like that. That's not what I'm talking about, but Gmail 
it has like, you know, you can buy, if you go to the Google store and I don't mean play.google.com, I mean like the Google store, you can buy, uh, you know, sticker sheets that come with all the shortcuts that you can put over your keyboard for all the shortcuts for, uh, for Gmail. I mean, cause, cause it, it works like its own operating system and that is tightly integrated with Google plus as well. Hangouts is on the left side. Now there's a, a picture feature built into it that has to do with Google plus photos. All these things are, are really interconnected. In fact, Mike Elgin even talked about how, you know, pretty much, especially on the mobile side, Google figured out the ultimate social network in that it being email. And so I think there is kind of this monolithic op online operating system being developed. Okay. Which it's gateway is Chrome, right? Uh, you know, that that's, that's all going to end up coming together at some point. If Google plays it, you know, if they, they do it the way they want to, you know, I don't know, but I mean, maybe the social networking aspect of it will just disappear and everything will be in hangouts. Who knows? Uh, you know, maybe hangouts will end up being like path where path, if you don't know what path is, I, I actually, I, I really liked path. Um, I haven't messed with it much in a while just because I can't get anybody else to go on path because everybody's on Facebook. Um, path is essentially, it's a social network. It has all the abilities of Google plus and Facebook and Twitter or whatever, but it only lets you have like a, like a hundred friends or maybe it's up to 150. Now it was originally like 40, but it only lets you have so many friends. And so it's supposed to be this really personal space. And maybe that's what Google will do with hangouts and I'm okay with this. And let me tell you why. Okay. If, if hangouts essentially becomes the main social networking system of, of Google. Because this is the, this is what I want to posit to you overall about social networks is that I don't, we're not meant as transhuman as smartphones make us. And as all these social networks make us, you know, to where we can talk to people all over the world instantaneously, our brains, while we can handle talking to a couple people at a time, okay, no matter where they are in the world, there's nothing too crazy about that. But the fact that we are talking to thousands of people at the same time. Okay. In real time, not like a podcast where I'm reaching out, you know, to a thousand people a week, over a thousand people a week now. No, what I'm talking about is in real time. Okay. We were never, ever, we're just not designed for that. And I think, I think it really fucks with our heads. And I think it might even, maybe that's the addictive quality. I, you know, I don't know, or that's, that's the entrapping quality of Facebook is that there's so many people to interact and so many like, like, you know, new people and people that you don't know enough about because, you know, the real attraction to so many people is the mystery behind them because you don't know anything about them and you want to know more. And so you go to find out more. Okay. And all, all the, all this crap. Right. And so I think that there is an actual, an overall problem with social media in that, yes, you can have a marketplace of ideas, but that's the thing is like with Facebook, these are people that, you know, you like you, you private, you know, you make your, 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 um, your profile private. Okay. So you're letting people into your world to some degree when you do that, it's not the public marketplace like Twitter is. And so I think, I don't think we're prepared for that. And I think it may be damaging us reaching out to so many people at the same time. What are your thoughts on that? Feel free. Send me an email. Sovereign tech at rise up.net. But I think we, I think social networking should go to a far more personal space. Uh, as much as I love to talk to everybody, I'll be back with more. Hey, look! Got an energy spike. Hold on! Launch. Now! 
Bombing the Narn back to the Stone Age wasn't enough for you? Then we heard it. The sound of something terrible being born. This is madness. Station 3 to Commander Ivanova. Centauri have launched a full-scale assault. The time is coming gone! It's our turn now! Two million tons of spinning metal, all alone in the night. A world where empires rise and fall. Where dreams are born and die. Where war and hatred are challenged by love and faith. In the third age of mankind, an age plagued by an evil empire that seeks to destroy humanity. It is our last, best hope for peace, for victory, for freedom. It is Babylon 5. Babylon 5 is available for download on your favorite torrent site. See it now to experience the greatest show in television history. Babylon 5. Tech Roulette. You want to play? It is time for Tech Roulette, where I cover stories that uh, get sent to me uh, by listeners. And, you know, actually, this week's Tech Roulette is not necessarily a story that got sent to me, but it's something that a lot of my friends kind of asked me about. So it's almost a listener email, but really it's affording. Some people shared similar thoughts and they kind of wanted me to talk about it. And so it's not, so it's a tech roulette in, in an oddball way, in a roundabout way. Um, but generally, you know, you send me a story and I'll talk about it on tech roulette. Um, and in this case, you know, this is just a, an overarching like topic that kind of came up. Um, and this is an area where I might get a, a little heated, admittedly, um, because I'm, I'm feeling in this regard, uh, I'm, I'm feeling uh, kind of depressed. And I'm feeling depressed about the Bitcoin space, uh, the Bitcoin community, whatever. And in fact, I'm going to, and, and, and I, you know, I know I have friends, great friends that, that talk about how, you know, you know, that are saying right now, how great the Bitcoin community is. And, you know, all these exciting things are, are happening. And I'm so glad, you know, if people are finding, you know, finding a joy inside of it. Uh, but I, I'm not finding a whole, a whole lot of joy right now. I'm finding a lot of disrespect. Um, I'm finding a lot of, I'm finding a lot of, of status quo. And that may not be new. You know, I, I've talked about that often. Uh, myself or the lovely and hyperintelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy has talked about it. Even uh, Andreas Santanopoulos has talked about it, that it feels like a lot of the times when you go to some of these Bitcoin conferences, uh, and I've been to a lot this year, that th- there is just this feeling of, you know, how can we make a better shopping experience as to where, you know, Bitcoin itself was clearly designed to set people free. It was not about a better shopping experience, right? You know, what about the other six billion? That's the phrase that goes around. Now, I want to I want to pedal back. I want to do a little bit of a history lesson here with Bitcoin. In that in 2011. The at the time, the lead developer who had a direct line to Satoshi Nakamoto, the real Satoshi Nakamoto came to the the business that I work for, Free Talk Live. I'm an advertising executive for Free Talk Live. 
okay, came there and said, look, there's this thing called Bitcoin I'm working on. I'm a fan of your show. Let me say that again. I'm a fan of Free Talk Live, lead developer of Bitcoin. I'm a fan of Free Talk Live, okay? And I want, I, I want to get you guys on board with this. I want you to talk about it. I want Free Talk Live to be the platform, one of the platforms that spreads Bitcoin out there. Because the guy that's behind this, you know, is liberty leaning, you know, maybe, maybe even an, hell, who knows? I don't, you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing and I'm putting words to some degree in, you know, in Gavin's mouth. Okay. But there is, I don't think I'm a, I'm far off the mark at all. And in so doing free talk live becomes a literal and, and, you know, and I don't mean this in the, in the pejorative, I don't mean this in a negative way, but it becomes uh, a honeypot, a melting pot for all kinds of, especially the very early on Bitcoin businesses, like ones that Charlie Shrem started ones that perhaps Roger Ver was involved. In fact, Roger Ver found out about Bitcoin through free talk live because Roger Ver was a fan of free talk live before Bitcoin existed. And he, he's still a strong supporter of it too. Um, monthly. So with you, you had all, you know, Bitcoin, the, the Bitcoin universe was very much centralized uh, around free talk live or centered. I don't want to say centralized, but it was centered. All eyes were kind of looking there. In fact, one of the very first Bitcoin conferences to be held in San Jose in 2013 Okay, by the Bitcoin Foundation, they said, Free Talk Live, you got to come out there. Okay, we want you because you're a part of this. You're a big part of this. And, you know, Free Talk Live went out there and, and uh, they, you know, for a few days, they, they were on the, the big stage there and, you know, they, they, they did a remote broadcast. Free Talk Live was positively quintessential to the growth of Bitcoin. Because Free Talk Live's audience is a group of very passionate people. Free Talk Live reaches out to about 500,000 people a week. Okay. And they're not all libertarians. Some of them have, you know, there's a wide ranging uh, bit of demographics, wide ranging views. But within those, all of those people are very passionate about what's going on. Okay. And this is the, this is Gavin Andreessen was very smart in reaching out to an audience like Free Talk Live has, because this is how you build a business. You can never, ever, 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 one more time, ever build a business, build a following, build a passionate following, a passionate consumership inside of a month or two. You can't do it. It doesn't, it, it's just the human brain doesn't really work that way because what's going to happen is, is the amount of time you put into the buildup of a business, a product, you know, whatever Bitcoin is. Okay. The amount of time you put into that is the amount is generally is, is uh, analogous to the amount of time that people will stick with it. Bitcoin success is very much based upon the fact that it was a buildup of years before people really started getting into it, but they were passionate. Okay. And then that, and the, and the passion just kept growing and growing and growing. Okay. If it was a flash in the pan 
two month deal, then people would forget about it just as soon as it became a big deal. Just like any pop song, most pop songs. You have to do a slow build. You cannot expect inside of two months to grab. You got to start small. You can't instantly just grab a bunch of people. Okay. You got to start off really, really small and then just have those, that, that small group, that passionate few will spread the passion. Okay. It's like the law of thermodynamics. Nothing actually gets cold. They just get less hot. So you're just, you got to spread that heat. Okay. That's, that's how it works. Now, it's important, I think, that when you're building a community like that, that the community has an understanding of the history of the community, that the community has a certain degree, perhaps, of respect and appreciation for what helped build that community. Okay, you know, you build your community on pillars, right? Well, the Bitcoin community, one of its pillars, in my opinion, and I don't think it's just opinion, I think if someone wrote an honest history that would say this was free talk live and not just free talk live, but New Hampshire in general, the free state project in general, libertarians in general and free talk live is the largest libertarian voice out there next to maybe Ron Paul. Okay. But free talk live is the single largest libertarian voice in existence. So Libertarians, let's, you know, we, we can kind of kind of move away from Free Talk Live here for a minute. Let's talk about libertarians. These, you know, all the money that's influxing, that's moving in to Bitcoin right now, all the businesses that are getting created around Bitcoin right now are, and again, this isn't a new thought, but I'm going to re- re- repeat it, are just, you know, they're reaffirming the status quo. They're reaffirming business as usual. They're not really thinking out of the box, which Bitcoin thought out of the box. And I know that that phrase is cliche, but let's use it. Bitcoin thought out of the box. And so for people to, you know, be able to like, you know, to see something so original and and so, you know, kind of come out of nowhere for people not to be inspired to do equally. So yes, there are some business out there that, that are, you know, coming up with, with really inventive things, uh, and taking f- making full use of everything that Bitcoin can do that we that we can think of right now. Right. Uh, most businesses are, you know, they're just they're trying to be something else or they're using it. They're, they're trying to to feed off of, um, you know, the the passionate, uh, you know, I'll say believers in Bitcoin. OK. And so like Tiger Direct accepting Bitcoin, I don't think Tiger Direct gives a rat's ass about Bitcoin. They don't, you know, so many of these businesses that are starting to either accept Bitcoin or that are building a new Bitcoin business, they are doing, they are just pulling off classic startup culture bullshit. Okay. Where there's businesses, look, you got to understand in San Francisco, and this is going to fall on its ass. Okay. And the the tech world, the tech world is going to fall apart pretty soon. Now, the big companies won't be so affected by it, just like they weren't in 1999 and 2000, 2001. Okay, but the tech world's going to fall apart pretty soon because these businesses, these this model, this like, you know, these me too businesses. You ever hear that phrase? Me too, meaning like that. They just copy what the other person did. Uh, All this stuff. It can't sustain itself. 
there's even that show out now uh, that I haven't watched. I don't care because it just be it end up depressing me even more because it's probably so true. It's not even funny. Uh, Silicon Valley that Mike Judge is doing. And I love Mike Judge. But, uh, you know, th- th- that show is all about the the ridiculous. And I love excess, too. But the ridiculous, unjustified excess of startup culture. These people think these tech companies in, 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 in Silicon Valley and wherever they think they're changing the world. When all they're doing, some of them, they're just offering you like they're shipping you underwear. And it's like, man, you're not even making the underwear. You're just shipping that shit. What is this? And you think you're changing the world? Hell, Golden Stallion doesn't even wear underwear. (laughs) You're not changing my world. But this is the attitude that these people have. And a lot of these Bitcoin companies have the same attitude. Hey, we're making a better shopping experience for you. Hey, fuck you. I don't need it. I'd use PayPal. But they act like they're changing the world. Changing how? Go fly over to Africa for a week and tell me how you just changed the world. Bitcoin really did change the world. And so I have a real problem with these businesses acting like they're big stuff because then it gets worse when they think they're changing the world. And then what I do, okay, and you can read into this however you want. I don't care because my feelings on it are my feelings on it. And that in that case, they're valid. When I contact these world changing companies, about, hey, you know, maybe would you like to advertise on Free Talk Live? We reach out to 500,000 people a week and we, you know, th- those 500,000 people, it's the largest Bitcoin audience in the world. If you want to make, if these people are waiting to spend Bitcoins. They're dying to spend Bitcoins. If you want to reach out to a community that wants to use Bitcoins, because most of the world hasn't even heard of Bitcoins yet, but somehow you're fucking changing the world with it, right? This is who you want to reach out to. This is who you want to get. And you know what they tell me? Yeah, we don't have a marketing budget. How are you changing the world if you don't have enough money for a marketing budget? You can't be. How are you going to change the world if you can't get your message out to anybody? Well, we have a website. Your website looks like everybody else's website. Your jingle music, your jingle ding, 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 is the same thing on every goddamn corporate video out there. You're a joke. You're a joke of a business. There's some great Bitcoin businesses out there, but by and large, 99.9999999999% of them are a joke. They're not doing anything new. They don't actually have any money. And look, that's okay. You can start up like that, but don't talk like you're the stuff when you don't have anything, when you've got nothing. And then, then there's, there's organizations Bitcoin Foundation, some others out there that you reach out to. And it's like, you know, we're really spreading the word about Bitcoin. We're really, you know, and we were quintessential in you having the value in Bitcoins that you have right now. And I don't just mean Free Talk Live, let's say libertarians in general. But again, Free Talk Live, Analogus, is the biggest, the largest libertarian voice out there. Okay. You ask them, you know, maybe you should support some liberty organizations or Free Talk Live, even if you don't want to advertise. Look, that's fine. If you don't have a product, okay, no big deal. But maybe, you know, maybe, maybe you want to help 
maybe want to, you know, give a hand. Because people have done that for that show. Roger Ver's done it. Uh, Jason Osborne of SACL CAI, he supported Free Talk Live for years when no one else would. And you talk to these people, and they give you like a one-line email saying, oh, yeah, thanks for reaching out. And, and then they do nothing. Where's your community? Where's your Bitcoin community? That's the whole point of community, right? Helping each other out, mutual aid. Where? It's gone, if it ever existed. I don't feel it. I go to all these conferences. I don't feel the community, okay? Because these people just act like, you know, oh, I, huh, I don't need to advertise. Yeah, all right, buddy. You don't need to advertise. It's like, yeah, our, our product's going to be great out of the gate. Look, let me give you a little hint about the history, about some, some technology history here. You know how long it took Microsoft to actually have a great product and to be on every computer in the world? It took them almost 15 years. It took them forever. It wasn't until version three. Let me repeat that. It wasn't until version three that people suddenly said, hey, this Microsoft Windows is pretty damn good. You've got, but it got to version three because there were people who were originally passionate about it and they kept at it and they kept at it. You've got to, you've got to reach out to those people as a business. And that gets done. Look, I'm the first guy to knock on advertising, okay? Ironically, as an advertising exec. There's a few episodes back where I did this huge thing about how I hate advertising on the internet, blah, 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 blah. Okay? But look, that's how we get to people these days. This is how it works. This is how business is done. And you're doing bad business, and you have no community. No community at all. And you can say, well, maybe they just need a little bit of time. Believe me, I've been on this job for about a year. And there's companies I talked to a year ago. A year later, you still don't have a marketing budget? No. You're, you're just, you're flapping your wings or you're just, you're just taken. You're just taken. You're not even caring about actually wanting to help people to give people a great service or a great product or whatever. You're just there for the money. Look, man, greed's okay. I like greed. Okay. I understand there's nothing wrong with doing it for the money, but you have to understand to keep that build, to keep doing it. I mean, if you're just looking you know, to, but I mean, do you see how wrong that is? That if, like I said, in, in, in Silicon Valley, there's companies that literally build themselves with the design of being bought out. They have that plan from the beginning. How are you looking to help people there? The very basis of entrepreneurship is there's a need. I need to fill it. The only need you're filling is your, I won't say it. Never mind. Time now for 90 Seconds on Sex with Dr. Paul. Women say that there are a number of reasons why they don't like to give men oral sex. Some include not wanting to swallow, or when a guy has poor hygiene, or has a lot of pubic hair that ends up in her throat, 
or if he forces a woman's head onto his penis like they do in porn. So if your partner was happy to go down on you once or twice but never again, you might ask if there's something that would help make it a better experience for her, like you're showering ahead of time or doing a quick trim or making sure you protect her from being gagged. As for the swallowing issue, you're missing out on a lot of pleasure if you're not able to negotiate a way to finish that works for her. Now, a lot of women find that semen tastes bad or has a weird texture, and you might too if you had to swallow it. Also, some women are fine with the taste and texture, but get an upset stomach from semen. So if swallowing is your blowjob deal breaker, you might consider flavored condoms, but be sure to put on a new condom if you're going to follow up with intercourse because it's easy for a partner to create tiny rips in condoms with her teeth. Also, I've got a link on our website for an oral sex technique that feels great but doesn't require your partner to swallow. For more, visit 90secondsonsex.com. Software of the Week. Woo! And then like a little sex talk from Dr. Paul, the real Dr. Paul, to give you, to calm you down a little bit. Uh, <laughs> love that guy. Uh, anyway, it is time for Software of the Week. And uh, this week I have some software that, well, you know, technology is a double-edged sword, right? It can be used for good or it can be used for bad. It can help you or it can hurt you. And of course, since everybody's an individual and, you know, value is subjective, Meaning that the value, the only value that exists is what you put into something. Um, these could be good or they could be bad. I'm finding them to be a little bit of both. Okay, uh, but these are these are Chrome extensions. Okay, and so they work in Chrome OS and of course the Chrome web browser. And you know, again, they're good and they're bad. Okay, <laughs> and what they are, there's a few different ones. I'm going to highlight three of them. Okay, that I personally use, uh, but they are. Uh, you know, they're, they're news aggregators. Okay. We talked earlier about how Google reader is gone. So, you know, you can't get an RSS feed. Uh, these actually do a pretty good job of replacing this fact. And I'm not talking about Feedly. I've done that in the past. If you really wanted a Google reader, um, you know, replacement, um, this, these are actual extensions made for Chrome that what they'll do is, is, you know, they'll be in the top right of the, of the browser, right across from the Omni bar, you know, the address bar. And, It'll be a little symbol of the news source, whatever it may be. Like I have one for RT, okay, Russia Today, my uh, my second favorite news source, first being Al Jazeera. And an RT, it, what it'll do is it'll put a little notification, kind of like if you have if you have the Google Plus notification app, it'll put like a little number next to it. It'll put a little number next to it and tell you there's a new story, and it pretty much puts up every story that RT puts up throughout the day. So obviously, if you didn't check this, you know, if you walked away from from the you know, your browser for the whole day at the end of the day, you'd probably have like 40 notifications. So take that for what it is. Um, but it's really slick. And especially with the RT one, because they also, if there's like a breaking story, like if there's a big story and that's been happening a lot lately with everything that's been going on in Ukraine, uh, it'll be instead of just like a green number one or number two, it'll turn red. It'll be a red number one, you know, to tell you that there's like this really breaking story. So it's pretty slick. Um, and then also the other ones I use are OMG Chrome and which is a great boy. If you want a news service, okay. And they do the best filler stories too. you know, stories that are like, wow, these are absolutely meaningless, but we got to post something, right? They also, they do the best filler stories there as well. Uh, and so OMG Chrome and OMG Ubuntu, 
Uh, I, those are the other two I use. And ONG Ubuntu is a great news source for Linux in general, not just Ubuntu. But anyway, all of them, I mean, they will, in fact, the OMG Chrome and the OMG Ubuntu uh, extensions will actually, they'll make a, a little, um, you know, notification, like a peer, you know, a notification bubble uh, appear on your screen and you can click, it'll give you the option to click uh, go to story or mark as read, you know, because if, if you're not interested in the story. And, you know, and it'll do the same thing as the RT extension, where it'll give you the little number as to how many stories are available. And you can click mark all as read and all this. I mean, it's it's really, they're nice. I, I like them. My my problem with them, though, particularly the RT one, uh, the OMG Chrome one doesn't update nearly as much as I wanted to, because I love finding out about Chrome OS stories. Um, but the the RT one... I, I've I've rather well over the past couple of years, two, three years, kind of insulated myself from a lot of the more benign news that's out there, a lot of the more mundane things. And now, though, you know, I, I just, you know, I want to clear that notification number on my RT uh, extension. And when I go to do that, I'll see some of these stories and, oh, man, I talk about depression. You know, I mean, there's just there's rarely any any good news ever. Uh, the only good news I read was like RT posted, I think yesterday they said that, uh, you know, uh, Google and, and Facebook and, and Microsoft and a, and a bunch of other big companies are all going to start telling users when the NSA is requesting information on them. Uh, and so they're pretty much bucking the government. We'll see how far that goes. But anyway, so they're, they're, they're handy. You know, if you want to keep up with the news and especially if you're on a Chromebook, this is a really, really slick way to do it because again, you can't necessarily multitask, but notifications are, are kind of a cool thing because you cannot pay attention to them, but they're there when they're when you're ready and they're a nice little reminder. So maybe you like these, maybe you don't. I certainly love the OMG Chrome and the OMG Ubuntu uh, uh, extensions, but the RT one, yeah, only if you like reading the news. <laughs> anyway, check those out. They're in the uh, the Chrome uh, Web App Store. I'll be back with more. This is Sovereign Tech. from Big Finish Productions. Blake 7, the classic audio adventures. I'm taking Liberator in on manual. We'll be in teleport range in two minutes. What the hell was that? Information. Liberator has been attacked. You don't say. Put up the force wall. Confirm. Message to all ground commanders. Initiate the final phase. Let's crush these rebels once and for all. My name is Avon. Kerr-Avon. Kerr-Avon. Our hostage arrives, which you may be unnecessary. As a hostage, it's nice to be superfluous. You can go to Blake7.com to find more of the new adventures of one of science fiction's greatest masterpieces. Blake7 at Blake7.com. time for listener emails where i talk about whatever you want me to talk about <laughs> or whatever questions you ask uh you can email me sovereign tech at riseup.net uh, also you know real quick in the show notes the sovereign tech show notes are loaded with information 
Okay. Uh, there's there's donation information for how to donate, uh, you know, via a whole bunch of cryptocurrencies, including Blackcoin, Bitcoin, Litecoin, BitShares, NXT. I mean, just, there's tons of them. Uh, and also there's my PGP key for Brian at Free Talk Live. So if it's something you want to keep quiet, and I've gotten a few emails through that, and I haven't gotten back to, to some of those people yet who have sent me, uh, you know, encrypted emails. Um, but, uh, you know, again, if it's something that's really time sensitive, you got to let me know that. Uh, look, I need to know this pretty soon and then I'll, I'll try and bump it up because I like to help people out community, right? Liberty community. How about that? We help each other out. Unbelievable. Because as much as Liberty teaches individualism, it also teaches that there's a division of labor, right? The paradox that is Liberty. And it's a beautiful thing. Uh, anyway, so I got an email. Uh, some people didn't like, they, they thought I kind of offhanded the whole UFO thing last week. And I had said my, my statement was about UFOs. Uh, and honestly, I don't even remember how UFOs came up during listener email. Well, I think I must've been talking about, because I get a lot of questions about, about ancient, you know, ancient societies, ancient humans, and the fact that I don't believe in aliens. Again, I don't believe in aliens, uh, at least not in this solar system. Uh, maybe, well, Hey, if Mars had water 200,000 years ago, I'm open to that one. I'm open to Mars, maybe having life. Okay. But otherwise didn't happen. Um, and so they thought I kind of, you know, just wrote off UFOs too easily in that UFOs, you know, because I said the UFOs are essentially just, you know, government uh, secret projects. They're X planes or, you know, whatever, be it drones or, or what, because, oh, that's that's how it came up. Someone asked me about the, uh, the 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 UFO that was verified to be photographed over Texas and Kansas, which I said is probably the uh, the RQ-180 from Lockheed. Um and, you know, OK, let, let me I'll expand on it a little bit. And then I have another listener email that hopefully I can get to. Maybe I won't get to it. Um, the. With UFOs, there are things that don't make a whole lot of sense by our modern understanding of how the world works. OK, uh, I fully admit to that again by the laws of physics that as far as we know, we can't really change, um, you know, because, again, the. This, the, the speed of light is not like the speed of sound. It's not just some barrier you break. Okay. That that's an oversimplification of things. A lot of people are like, well, we broke the speed of sound. We can break the speed of light. No, okay. It doesn't work that way, folks. Uh, <laughs> so even though there is like such thing as red shifting, right? That's how some people have said that we can, you know, break the, the light barrier, quote unquote. Uh, that's a terrible phrase. Don't ever use light barrier. Um, anyway, UFOs. Uh, there, there are oddities to them that I admit there are mysteries around them that I readily admit to. And so I don't want it to sound so, so out of hand, you know, that I just kind of toss them aside as in like, who cares? Uh, in fact, there, there's a really interesting, now I used to be a Christian and there's a really interesting, you know, UFOs are now what a lot of Christians say is that UFOs are a plan of Satan to, you know, sway believers, you know, from the truth and all this stuff. Now, I think that's nonsense, okay, but there is an oddity of truth to it being a plan of Satan. And what I mean by that is that actually uh, the library, you know, it, for, pretty much for the Air Force, okay, the Air Force, they have the Office of Scientific Research. For the Air Force, and this, this, this 400-page report I'm about to tell you about is in, it's in the Library of Congress, okay, this is official, recognized, this is being done. Uh, you know, by, by a person, you know, hired by the air force to research UFOs. 
Okay, now a lot of people will say, well, she was hired by the government, so of, of course she's going to BS it. But this is the odd thing, is that uh, Lynn Katoe, uh, I, I hope I got her name right, uh, she did not write off, just as I'm not, she did not write off UFOs. In fact, this is her quote. A large part of the available UFO literature is closely linked with mysticism and metaphysical. It deals with subjects like mental telepathy, uh, automatic writing in invisible entities, as well as phenomena like poltergeists or ghosts, manifestations and possession. Many of the UFO reports now being published in the popular press recount alleged incidents that are strikingly similar to demonic possession and psychic phenomena. Now, that's weird. Because, you know, what, like, it's not, you know, <laughs> it makes you, you know, if, if one wants to believe in UFOs, you know, it makes you wonder. It's like, okay, so, so are the Christians um, just, just actually getting attacked by aliens when they feel like there's a demonic possession? Uh, or, you know, are these actually demons that are affecting people and yet people aren't believers? And so they accept, you know, they, they, they think to themselves that it's aliens. Um, I'm, you know, I don't, neither of those really make any sense other than the fact that it is strange that people are describing things now the same way that they have described encounters that they had hundreds of years ago or thousands of years ago. That is weird. I, I readily admit to that. And I want to, as I, as I, I bring up in the show a lot, okay. You know, I, I want you to to consider the idea. You don't have to believe me and you don't have to listen to this stuff whenever I care to say it, because, again, you know, if you don't believe me, that's OK. If you don't agree with me, that's all right. That doesn't mean we have to hate each other. You know, I want you to consider the idea that pretty much mythology is history in disguise. That's what I want you to consider. And with that in mind. We seem to have a lot of mythological occurrences that sound like they're still occurring. Okay. Now, you know, I, these abduction things, I mean, I'm totally open to the idea that they are merely uh, manifestations, not of the demonic, but manifestations of childhood trauma. I am readily, readily accepting of that idea. In fact, most of the time, I think that's what it is. And perhaps throughout history, that's what it's always been. But at the same time, I won't deny that it is strange that they get described in very similar fashion. You know, like like almost to the description of the creatures that they encounter. Again, I don't believe aliens have ever come to Earth ever. They've never been in the, you know, maybe on Mars, but otherwise they've never been in the solar system. OK, there might be something alive on Europa. I'm open to that, but they ain't they're not traveling here, folks. OK. So I'm not writing off UFOs. I'm just saying that that I think that there's a lot of really interesting explanations. You know, I mean, and I didn't even get into ultra terrestrials. That's a whole other ball game, right? Okay, uh, that you know there there may be something to that, but I, I uh, it's not something that that I spend a whole lot of time exploring. So, but I am open to. I just want to make it clear that yes, there are some genuine mysteries out there, and that there are some genuinely fucked up things when it comes into the, you know, when it comes to the ideas of, of UFOs. So I'm not really giving you an answer. I'm just saying that, yeah, I didn't mean for it to sound like I was being so out of hand with it, uh, because I, I think there are, again, some, some really interesting questions to be had with, um, with UFOs. So let's get on to the second question. And, uh, maybe at some point I'm going to do a whole special on this. Uh, I mean, I am actually, I'm going to release a special this week 
uh, where I'm going to do the, the top 10 nonfiction books, uh, for myself. I, I really, I, I'm, I think I'm going to do these kinds of things where, cause a lot of people ask me, you know, like what books should I check out? Uh, you know, that, that are along, along this, this line of thought. And for a lot of things that we talk about, there are no books, but some of the things there are like a great book is rare, uh, rare earth, the rare earth hypothesis. Uh, that's a phenomenal thing to, to, to read, but anyway, I'll save all that for later. Um, and maybe I'll do a special on this because I got a lot of reaction on Twitter, please. And if you want to help out the show, if you want to help out the show for free, you don't want to donate. That's okay. You don't have to. Um, but if you want to help out the show, the things you can do is bring up my social media numbers as ridiculous as I claim social media is, uh, bring up my Twitter numbers, Google plus numbers and my SoundCloud numbers, you know, just follow me on those, on those mediums. And that, that really helps the show out a lot. So on Twitter, uh, which is kind of my main outreach, uh, Twitter and Google plus are my main outreach, um, you know, platforms. Um, I, I, I hashtagged a few times the phrase smash the family. And, uh, I, I am not the originator of this phrase. I won't tell you who is, but I am not the originator of it. And a lot of people are like, are you serious? And I've gotten in, 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 in other social media, I've gotten in conversations where, uh, you know, I, I've, I've said that, uh, yeah, I, I want to bring an end to, you know, and this is how I phrased it. I want to bring an end to families. Okay. But that's not what I mean. <laughs> I mean, that is what I mean. And I'm saying that for shock, but what I'm talking about is that I want to see, and for so people to understand when I say smash the family, I think if the state, okay, if the government is a fiction, and it is, okay, it only exists in people's heads, I think the family is perhaps the first fiction, or maybe the second fiction. I think there's three great fictions out there. One of them's religion, the other is the state. And the other is the family. Okay. I don't think they, they were not a part of, you know, if, if evolution, you know, creates all these systems, if the laws of thermodynamics create all these systems in the universe, the family is not one of them. Not as we understand it, not as in like two parents and children. Okay. That's uh, in fact, frankly, I think, you know, that's the edipital uh, model of family, right? Or some people will say that the Oedipal model is just is just if you if you you know use corporal uh, punishment on a child that's the Oedipal model. Well, I wonder if in fact actually using phrases like my child, my son, my daughter, my wife, my 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 my, if all that doesn't create an Oedipal model in itself, just the language alone, uh, because language is powerful. Um, I've talked about it. I've recommended on the show that people check out NVC, nonviolent communication which is in large part designed to eliminate the ideas of, of ownership and blame on other people. Okay. So, you know, and, and actually, you know, this is an interesting thing. Maybe I need to, if you want to ask me about these, I'm a huge fan of these are auxiliary languages or like uh, constructed languages, not, not, you know, made up, <laughs> you know, not, not, I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of like what Tolkien's, you know, languages too, like Elvin Elvish and all that. But, um, the, you know, uh, like AUI or OI, whatever they call it, uh, Esperanto, you know, there's a few of these different ones. I think these are interesting concepts that maybe within language itself, we could eliminate a lot of these really destructive and dominating and violent ideas just by getting them out of the language. I'm very interested in that. Anyway, let me let me get off of that that horse there. 
Um, yes, I think family may be, and it's, it's a tie. I'm going to call it the first fiction, but maybe religion was the first fiction. I don't know. Um, and the family I think is, 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 is the first fiction because what happened is, is that somehow some guy, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago thought that he could pass on his legacy. And he did that by, you know, he thought he did that by creating, um, you know, a, a, a child. Okay. This is the very nature of marriage and marriage is at the very heart of family. You can say, no, look, I don't have to get married to have a family. Yeah. Okay. I, I got you. I understand that. But you know, you know what I'm saying too, right? You got me. Okay. <laughs> and so the, it, it's all the, the whole idea, in my opinion of the family is wrapped up. In fact, someone has often has, has said, I've, I've heard people say, you know, call-ins to free talk live where the person has said, look, the family is just like a country. And I was like, yeah, you're absolutely right. That doesn't mean that it's okay, but you're absolutely right. The language, the, the ideals, the ideas Compare them. Just just take the time for me right now to compare. Use the language like borders and all that stuff. Compare a country to a family. You're going to find out they're the same thing. Or at least they smack very closely of each other. And I think this may be a problem. Because I think this may be the original. This is where the whole idea of us against them comes from. Just a theory. I don't have any data to back it up. Why? Because we've been forced and we've been propagandized to believe that the family is everything and the blood is thicker than water, blah, 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 fucking blah. Okay. You know, you ever see the movie they live and they live one that this is the movie where like uh, these, these aliens are here and they're sending all these subliminal messages to the humans. One of the subliminal messages being sent to humans is marry and reproduce. Everybody loves to quote that movie and they never talk about that. They never, ever talk about that. And so I, I think that the very idea of one human being different from another and or better or worse or whatever that someone else needs to be punished, all this stuff, you know, comes from at the source comes from family. And I want to, I'm going to play a soundbite. I don't do this often, but I'm going to play a soundbite that I want you to think about. Okay. And you, you can email me sovereign tech at rise up.net. And if you really want me to talk more about all this family stuff, like I said, maybe I'll do a special, but here's a soundbite. And th this is from, uh, from Babylon five greatest show ever. What is that? That looks like the opening of Jakar's Declaration of Principles. I guess he finished revising it. Read it to me. Oh, I'm not nearly as good a speaker as Jakar is. Read it. <clears throat> the universe speaks in many languages, but only one voice. The language is not Narn or Human or Centauri or Gaeum or Mimbari. It speaks in the language of hope. It speaks, it speaks in the in language, language of trust. It speaks in the language of strength and the language of compassion. It is the language of the heart and the language of the soul. But always it is the same voice. It is the voice of our ancestors speaking through us. And the voice of our inheritors waiting to be born. It is the small, still voice that says, we are one. No matter the blood, no matter the skin, no matter the world, no matter the star, we are one. No matter the pain, no matter the darkness, no matter the loss, no matter the fear, 
we are one. Here, gathered together in common cause, we agree to recognize this singular truth and this singular rule, that we must be kind to one another. Because each voice enriches us and ennobles us, and each voice lost diminishes us. We are the voice of the universe, the soul of creation, the fire that will light the way to a better future. We are one. We are one. We are one. Now, of course, not in the sense that like our, 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 you know, our souls connected. No, I don't believe in the soul. Our quarks connected, uh, maybe. But I'm not saying that. But we're all human. And these modes of separation and these these ideas of domination and us against them, I think we need to analyze every one of them so that, like Sheridan said, we can get to that brighter future. And I'm not saying you're evil for having a family. Hey, Brian, what's that funny sticker over your laptop webcam? I was trying to spy on you while you were in the shower, but now I can't. See, that's why I have it. And it's from EFF.org. EFF, what's that? It's the Electronic Frontier Foundation, totally donor-funded organization that fights for internet freedom, privacy. Wow, that sounds great. So EFF.org, I support internet freedom and privacy, and maybe you do too. Yeah, and you can support them with Bitcoin. The Electronic Frontier Foundation at EFF.org. Brian, stop playing those video games! Uh, 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 just a minute, Mom! Game Talk. Hello, folks. Uh, this is the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy. And I'm so sorry to bust into Brian's show like this and take over the microphone, but I just had to break in because we've had a little bit of a crisis here in the studio today. What happened was Brian was recording his show as he normally does, and I was listening to it as I normally do, and it's always very entertaining. In fact, uh, he was getting very animated, and I thought it was a wonderful show. Uh, at one point, I went downstairs to get some food, and I heard him yelling about Michael Jackson, which you'll hear later, hopefully. But uh, <laughs> it was such a good show, and I always love Sovereign Tech, but this one was just, oh, excellent. But there was a problem, unfortunately, where... Brian hit play on his Audacity template instead of record. We think that's what happened anyway. And uh, whatever happened, the audio did not get captured. And as you know, if you're a podcaster, this is every podcaster's worst nightmare. I mean, this is what everybody's afraid is going to happen. We never usually do a a backup recording for Sovereign Tech, maybe once in a while, but we've never had a crisis of these proportions come out on the show. And so Brian really wasn't prepared for it. And as a result, unfortunately, that audio is lost forever. But, you know... He, like a boss, he's going to continue on with the show and re-record it. (laughs) I don't know if it'll be good, as good as the first time, or maybe better than the first time. Sometimes that happens. You get a little practice to collect your thoughts. But, oh, the frustration. This is so frustrating. And if you can empathize with how frustrating that must be to spend 45 minutes of your life 
doing a very passionate show. I mean, we do the show now from standing desks and Brian was up, he was animated, he was getting, he was putting the arms into it. He was putting his whole body into the show, putting all of his passion and energy into Sovereign Tech. And he does that every week, actually. I mean, he really does um, put a lot of his heart and soul, not that there's a soul, but heart into the show for you, for free. And if you can imagine how frustrating it might be to have your hard work, your blood, sweat, and tears be lost in an audio catastrophe, please, please, please send Brian a tiny bit of Bitcoin. I mean, not even, I'm you know, a few bucks. He's not going to turn down $2, okay? <laughs> Just give him a little token of your appreciation because I think he could really use it right now. He's feeling very frustrated as... I think you could probably understand. So I'm going to stop talking now and give the microphone back to him. But thank you so much. And I'm sure he would really appreciate any encouragement you can give him to keep on going. <clears throat> yes. Thank you, Stephanie, <laughs> very much for that. Uh, the show must go on. <laughs> that's 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 really it. Um, and uh, yeah, we are in uh, Game Talk. So Let's talk video games, and this is one of the last game talks, as I've mentioned in the past. Episode 75 will not have a game talk. Uh, so, you know, enjoy it while it's here. Uh, and this week we've got a topic uh, that I think is pretty interesting and that there's a lot of misperceptions, a lot of misconceptions about. Uh, and that is, and this is coming from Kotaku, uh, and their article is, Why New Video Games Still Cost $60. OK, Call of Duty versus Battlefield, Disney Infinity versus Skylanders. Every year, intense marketing battles happen over which games will dominate certain categories. Why don't publishers like EA or uh, Activision do what marketplace competitors do in other areas do and simply undercut the price? The long answer is complicated and a little bit shady, but the short answer, everybody needs a cut of the profits. In a post over at The Consumerist, Kate Cox outlined some of the practices that have become standard over the last few years of selling video games. There's a reason pretty much every retailer in the U S charges $60 for a new video game on the week of its release. It's a price point that comes from the publisher and all the retailers that sell the new product to consumers agree to abide by it. Stores that choose not to abide by the price agreement quickly find themselves out of favor with the publisher for future shipments. So if big game store wants to get players in the door for next year's call of duty iteration, they won't drop below the publisher's guidance for this year's. That kind of agreement is called minimum resale price maintenance. From a retailer and publisher perspective, that flattening out of competition has a bunch of positives. Publishers know that they're cut what their cut of the game will be. Uh, stores know that they don't have to cut into the bone on their own profits to try to get shoppers in the door. Retailers compete on convenience, other available goods, and other factors that aren't price. From a consumer perspective, well, consumers are utterly unable to make decisions based on price. And sometimes that really stinks. Of course, brick and mortar stores aren't the only place to buy new video games and the increasing popularity of Steam and similar digital distribution hubs lets vi video game consumers create, uh, create spa a space where the dollar goes a bit further. Blockbuster games usually launch on Steam at the same price as their console counterparts or sometimes $10, $10 lower. But the launch price on Steam is never the price for long. The major sales are now so regular and so massive that they have taken on an iconic status of their own. Gamers can all but mark the seasons by them. 
and so too can competing online game sellers, smaller gaming-focused sites like Gamersgate, GOG, Gamefly, Desura, and plenty of others also now tout regular deep discounts to subscribers. But it's not just the specialty shops. Amazon, too, has developed a habit of pushing major game discounts with remarkably coincidental timing to Steam's big sales. So, might this kind of price cutting come to Xbox Live or the PlayStation Network? Probably not. Nearly a decade later, in 2014, Xbox Live and PlayStation Network do have robust digital offerings and both offer monthly sales and occasional promotional discounts. Same-day digital release is a reality for more and more games every month. The tech is ready, but the element of competition is still missing. The digital storefronts for, other, for both major consoles are walled gardens. Sony and Microsoft have the final say, and you're not going to see a Steam app hawking relatively new games for $5 on the Xbox One anytime soon. Imagine that, though, an official outpost of Steam or GOG, which would even be more attractive given its specialization in out-of-print titles on a console. Uh, what won't happen in the near future, but we can dream. Yeah, that last point is, you know, kind of pointless. I mean, uh, PlayStation, or at least the PS3, kind of dalliance with uh, with Steam a little bit. So, you know, maybe that's something coming down the pipe, but probably not. Uh, but, you know, the, the actual, the whole premise of this article is way off. Uh, <laughs> so, because it's like, wow, I can't believe we're still paying $60 for a game. This is terrible. That game is so expensive. Well, I want to let you in on a little hint. The title of the article is Why Do They Still Cost $60? It's because since the 80s, these games have cost $60. New games have cost that much. They just always have maybe 50 bucks, maybe 40 bucks, you know, but the price point has been relatively the same. Even, you know, I remember when I was a little, little kid, and I mean a little kid, like maybe three or four. And uh, I remember walking into a toy store. And I saw E.T. Now, I mean, unfortunately, yes, I didn't. I did end up actually buying this or, you know, my parents bought it for me at, at that age. Of course, I don't have control of, uh, you know, the honor of controlling my finance distribution. But uh, <laughs> uh, my parents got it for me. But it was E.T. Um, or got it for the whole family, I guess you could say. And that was for the Atari 2600. Yes, that E.T. <laughs> and it was it was 50 bucks. Um, when I, you know, one of the first times I bought my own game, which was Metroid in the late eighties, um, that was, you know, I bought it for 50 bucks, you know, essentially $60. And so games have always been that price, but here's the thing. They're forgetting something in all of this because they're trying to blame the publishers for, oh, they're the ones setting this ridiculous price. They don't have to cost this much. Actually, games today don't cost $60 like games in the 80s or even in the 90s cost $60 because of inflation. Ta-da. Yes, uh, <laughs> due to inflation, the games you are buying today only cost in comparison to games from the 80s only cost maybe 20 bucks it, by comparison, you know, and, and, and counting for inflation. So games today should actually, they shouldn't cost $60. They should cost $150 by their 80s cousins, you know, pricing scheme. So you're, you're, you're getting a huge discount. I know, I know you think, wow, $60 is so much money, but by comparison, 
<laughs> you're paying it such a cheap price. I mean, even, you know, and, and consider that because like, with, say a Steam game goes on sale, 75% off, 90% off. You get a Steam game for a buck. In the 80s, that equated to five cents. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you're buying games for like five cents. Now, why is this? Of course, you know, how come they're, they're actually games? So again, the point we're making here is games aren't still $60. They're actually cheaper than they've ever been. Okay. And it's true. They are cheaper. I mean, just, just to understand the inflation, uh, the lovely and hyper-intelligent Dr. Stephanie Murphy and I were going, uh, we're at the grocery store the other day and we were looking at boxes. We're not buying them, but we were looking at boxes of rice and And we're like, you know, remember when we were kids, you could buy five of those boxes of rice and for a dollar for $1. And now they're like three bucks a piece or two bucks a piece, whatever a piece, not five a piece. Okay. Now, why is this? How is this possible? How is it that me spending $60 on a game today means that it is so insanely cheaper than it used to be? The reason is, is that the industry, the gaming industry, and the large part of the electronics, you know, and, and technology industry has not fallen prey to regulations and legislation. They've been pretty hands off by the government. And because of that, everything actually gets cheaper. And with inflation, whether the price stays the same as it is now or compared to then, they're still cheaper. So you are buying a very, you are spending so much less money than you did in the eighties. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you, you, you know, by comparison, you really are. So there's a, there's a big off premise there. Now I agree. Yes. The game companies are probably charging a lot more than is necessary. Uh, blah, 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 blah. You know, all that's probably true, but the initial premise that, oh, it's these evil game companies that are making them cost $60. Now in actuality, in actuality, you're getting a very, very inexpensive game, even if it still has the price tag of 60 bucks. Anyway, I'll be back with more. This is Cyber Tech. Tonight, Knight Rider, who crashes into your living room. I don't believe this. Well, you'd better believe it. A lone crusader for justice drives this crime crasher. The world's most fantastic car. And together they can do just about anything. After all, we're only human. Don't press your luck. And now, buckle up for action with the fastest show on television, Knight Rider. See Knight Rider online today. And now back to Sovereign Tech. Wow. It's a website of the week. It is time for website of the week where I cover websites that I consider useful, sometimes terrible, uh, sometimes funny. Sometimes they blur the lines between websites and software, right? Because, you know, everything's getting cloud-based. But this week... I want to share with you a website that I get just immense usefulness out of and that uh, is really, uh, you know, in some ways, I suppose it's probably saving my life and probably saving a lot of people's lives, uh, but it's not what you think. And it's a health blog, essentially. But it's coming from a guy uh, who's really a real out-of-the-box thinker, okay? The website is chriscresser.com, okay? And, of course, the link is in the show note at SovereignTech.com. Now, you may not know this, um, but you, you probably do. But Stephanie and I, we actually, we follow the, the paleo lifestyle. 
Uh, she introduced me to it, thankfully. And, uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm one of those guys that I guess is kind of genetically lucky that I can handle, uh, seemingly handle, you know, a multitude of types of foods. Like I, I, I still eat rice, even though by paleo standards, that's not necessarily the best thing. I will eat potatoes. Um, I can, I can eat legumes pretty safely. Um, which is interesting because actually Chris Kresser, the guy I mentioned, uh, who is a, you know, kind of a, a quote unquote authority in the paleo world. Um, he recently did an article where he was saying that, you know, uh, legumes are, may not be so bad for everybody and that some people can have them every once, once in a while. Um, and so Chris Kresser, he, he really, he's kind of a, a renegade even in the paleo world. I mean, cause you have a lot of authorities, uh, you know, he has uh, quote unquote authorities. You have Lauren Cordain, uh, you have John Durant, Mark Sisson, uh, Rob Wolf, you know, you got all those types and, uh, he's, you know, they, they can be pretty strict. Uh, and, and Cresser isn't very strict on it. His, his whole shtick, Chris Cresser's shtick is that, no, look, you know, if it's healthy for you, you know, if you can hand, if your genetics, whatever, if your metabolism can handle it, then it's, it's okay. You know? And, and not only that, he also like, he, he just rocks a ton of myths. I mean, he just crushes them. Like, uh, uh, what here's one from his blog. Um, five reasons why concerns about mercury and fish are misguided. Uh, is there any room for sweeteners in a healthy diet? Uh, there, there's a whole slew here. In fact, even um, he has a recipe. There's recipes here too. He has a recipe for almond milk, which is interesting because I think probably the best paleo book out there is the Paleo Manifesto by John Durant. And John Durant will pretty much recommend to you don't don't touch almond milk because uh, you know they they didn't milk almonds you know, 10,000 years ago or whatever. And it's, and, and that's, that's another thing I like about Cresser is that he's like, okay, yeah, you know, he's, he's not following that really like purist fundamentalist kind of paleo attitude. He's more saying, you know, you can eat something that, that, that at least is, you know, follows the, the basic guidelines. Okay. And he's pretty much, you know, doing his whole, his whole message is, you know, eat what works for you within these, you know, paleolithic, uh, uh, you know, within this kind of paleo science, we'll say, uh, you know, some people will probably laugh at the idea of paleo science, but I think there's some truth to it. You know, evolutionary biology, things like that. Uh, anyway, he has a book, uh, your personal paleo code, great book, phenomenal book. I still think Durant's is better, but, but the personal paleo code is all about, you know, finding out what actually works for you because it may be different than what works for someone else. And that's good common sense because I mean, we're all individuals, you know, so some of us can handle things. Others can't. You know, it's it's not like uh, allergies didn't exist. I'm sure they existed in the Paleolithic times, too, to some degree. So it's all about being very personal, very personalized and very individualistic. And Cresser will say things like he even had a thing about nitrates where he said, you know what? These things aren't killing you. I mean, just phenomenal stuff that you really won't read anywhere else. Kind of like Sovereign Tech, where you hear things you probably won't hear anywhere else. So check it out. ChrisCresser.com. I love it. Hey, everybody, it's Stephanie. I am the Sovereign Tech producer. But did you know I am also a voiceover artist? Yes, it's true. I make audiobooks, commercials for your business. I narrate explainer videos, pretty much any audio project that you can think of. I'm probably willing to work on it or I have worked on it in the past. And if you want to hear some samples of my previous work, or you want to find out a little bit more about what I do, then I encourage you to check out my voiceover website, which is smvoice.info, smvoice.info. Now back to Sovereign Tech. Hacker Stories. 
It is time for Hacker Stories, where we talk security issues or we talk about some of the real heroes of planet Earth, that being hackers, black hat, white hat, gray hat. I love them all. But, uh, you know, I, I do want to let you know that I this will be one of the last Hacker Stories. Uh, I will be shortening the show significantly. Uh, we, you know, I already mentioned the game talk was going to be going away. This will be going away. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to be taking it's debatable whether or not I'm going to remove pick of the week. But um, but we will be shortening the show quite a bit. Uh, as some people have said, yeah, it's kind of long at two hours. And so that, you know, that's fine. Um, and Hacker Stories has really become something I didn't really intend for it to be. Uh, as I mentioned in the past, like the Snowden revelations just like completely hijacked my show because then everybody just wanted to know, you know, how do I secure myself? Blah, 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 blah. Uh, all of which is, you know, perfectly relevant information. I have no problem in sharing those sorts of things. Uh, but it really took over the entire theme of the show. Now, with me getting rid of hacker stories, does that mean I'm going to stop telling hacker stories? No, of course not. Uh, they'll just be more, you know, integrated with the rest of the show. Uh, and maybe we can even get in more stories this way, ironically, if we're not spending so much time on one. Uh, we'll, we'll see. It's, you know, it, it's good to shake things up on your podcast. You don't want it to get stale, uh, you know, and 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 please, if, if you want, there's there's two year, almost two years worth of Sovereign Tech out there now. Uh, so, you know, feel free to listen back to the old episodes. You can see where some of my thoughts have really uh, morphed. They've really, you know, they, they, they've changed over time. Some of my opinions uh, I used to be, I was not an advocate for privacy at all, uh, or at least on, on digital privacy, I should say, uh, years ago, I still told people how to go about and do it because, you know, I'm aware of how all that's done, uh, you know, and had, had some, anyway, I won't go into that, but, um, you know, it's, it's changed. Okay. The, the, and hacker stories itself, you know, originally was just supposed to be, I just wanted to share stories about, uh, you know, about hackers, like, like real stories. And so anyway, it hasn't been that. And so I think I'm just going to be ended up taking it out of the show. So, uh, but let's get into this week because this week we've got a hell of a story. That's very important. That would have been the lead story if I didn't, you know, if it wasn't already going to be the hacker story for this week. And that is, we've got a security flaw, a vulnerability that, uh, <laughs> that's, you know, that may be bigger than Heartbleed, probably not, but pretty close. Anyway, I'm going to go ahead and read right from uh, from Lifehacker here about this. And this is about OAuth and OpenID. OK, uh, another day, another major Internet security flaw. Step aside, Heartbleed. <laughs> A bug has been found in OpenID and OAuth 2.0, two authentication programs that let you log into websites using your Google, Facebook and other major accounts. Here's what you need to know about the security flaw. As we've explained before, OAuth and its alternative, OpenID, let you log into sites or apps using your Google, Twitter, Facebook, or other credentials without having to create yet another account or give the app more permission than necessary. OAuth and OpenID, in essence, authenticate you with the site or tell the site you are who you say you are and let you log in without having to enter a username and password. Because they make logging into sites easy and webmasters don't have to maintain their own login systems, OAuth and OpenID are used widely across the web by sites like LinkedIn, PayPal, Yahoo, and more. It's true. In fact, it's ironic that you can log into Yahoo with your Google account. That just seems weird, doesn't it? Uh, anyway, uh, it might not. What is this new vulnerability? It might not actually be a new vulnerability. But it was just discovered by Wang Jing, a Ph.D. student at Nanyang Technological University, called the covert redirect flaw. 
The vulnerability allows hackers to trick users into authorizing an app or site using malicious phishing links. For example, if you visit a site and click a button to log in with Google or Facebook, you'll see the familiar authorization pop up saying, you know, uh, log in with your Facebook account or log in with your Google account, right? If you authorize the login, your personal data can be sent to the hacker instead of the site. This can include your email address, contact list, birthday, and more. The vulnerability could also redirect you to a different lookalike website. Perhaps the scariest thing is the covert redirect flaw doesn't make uh, doesn't use a fake domain that might be spotted by more savvy surfers, but instead uses the real site address that you're trying to log into. So it's very hard to detect. Uh, what you can do about it. Unfortunately, CNET reports that this is not easy for sites to fix and third-party sites have little incentive to do so. Jeremiah Grossman, founder and interim CEO at White Hat Security, a website security firm, agreed with Wang's findings after looking at the data. While I can't be 100% certain, I would have sworn I've seen a report of a very similar, if not identical, vulnerability in OAuth. It would appear this issue is essentially a known won't fix, Grossman said. This is to say it's not easy to fix uh, and any effective remedies would negatively impact the user experience. Just another example that web security is fundamentally broken and the powers that be have little incentive to address the inherent flaws. Ooh, let's talk about that in a minute. Until we know more, you're best off being extra careful about logging into sites using Twitter, Google, or Facebook. As CNET advises, watch out for links that immediately ask you to log into them and close the window to prevent the redirection attack. As always, be careful about the sites and links you visit. Okay, so what they're saying is, is that, you know, if a site, you know, like, be careful, watch out for a site that automatically asks you to log in, as in, if you go to the website, okay, you go to some web address, whatever that may be. And it instantly brings that pop-up saying, hey, log in with Google or Facebook, run away. <laughs> okay. It should only ask you after the fact, like after you've checked out the site for a little bit and you say you actually want to sign up. Okay. So that's what they're recommending. And that, that's pretty good. That's pretty good advice. Um, I've said in the past on this show that I don't uh, agree with like using your Facebook account to log into everything. I understand how beautifully easy it is to do that. Okay. Um, but I, I've never, ever recommended doing that. I don't think it's a good idea. This is now, of course, this, I didn't see this coming. Nobody saw this coming. It's not like with open SSL, I told people on this show, as well as outside of the show years ago, don't use open SSL. There's no money behind it. There's only one per one or two people developing for it. Don't touch it just because it says open source doesn't mean it's a great thing. Okay. Uh, and, but this one, I had no idea. Um, and, you know, with, with that in mind, though, the, the recommendations are pretty sound in that just watch out for sites that do that. Uh, part of the problem here, though, is, th you know, it, it really does highlight again. And I thought it was great that 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 uh, that Grossman from uh, from White Hat Security said, hey, this shows that there's some serious flaws in the security of how the Internet, the Internet works, not Google, not Facebook. There's some serious security flaws in how the Internet works. OK, and that dovetails pretty nicely with how I was saying, you know, last week I was talking about BBSs and all that. I want you to understand, you know, better what I mean by that is that I want multiple Internets. Yes, I'm using the plural properly. OK, I want to use, I want multiple Internets. I don't want just one. 
I do want it completely decentralized. I want my tours. I want my, uh, you know, I want made safe. I, oh, do I want made safe ever? Uh, <laughs> but I want all these different things. You know, I, I mean, they can all run off of the, the same fiber or whatever, I guess. But, you know, maybe they don't have to. But in any case, I want multiple internets. I want choice. Okay. This, this, there are flaws here, various, very serious flaws that exist on the internet. And that's why I warn when people say it's like, well, the internet will never go down. <laughs> it's been attacked pretty hard twice now. Okay. It is, it is something to keep in the back of your mind. It's not something to be so terrified about, but it's something to keep in the back of your mind. Now, my own recommendations on what to do about uh, covert redirect is to you know, the same thing I recommended with actually with Heartbleed is please use LastPass. Okay. Keep in mind, LastPass does not have access. You know, what goes up to LastPass is all encrypted client side. They're not seeing anything. Okay. And so if you want to have, you know, I, I'm saying don't log in with Facebook. Don't log in with Google. Create separate accounts for all these things and just put it all into LastPass. And then LastPass will do the deed. Okay. That's my recommendation for, for what to do about this. All right. Um, and, and, you know, it has, no one's really said it yet, but do I think that the NSA and CIA and FBI and GCHQ and whoever else governments around the world are behind this one? Hell yes. Hell yes. They are. I, I, no one said it. There may not be a whole lot of proof, but I guarantee it. Why? Because it's their MO. We talked about with quantum hand, how they set up like a, a, a fake, you know, fake Facebooks or, you know, or fake, fake Facebooks, uh, fake face fucks. I don't know. <laughs> uh, a fake Facebook, you know, or the, like the Cuban Twitter, all this stuff. This has been one of the best things that we or one of the best things for them, not for us, for them that has worked for them is, you know, faking login credentials and all that, which is exactly what, what OAuth and OpenID are all about. So, yeah, I, I, I firmly believe uh, that the NSA and CIA, if, if at least if they didn't implement it themselves, which is entirely possible. Okay. Uh, they were certainly, I guarantee they knew about it and they've been messing with it. And this is, this isn't a, a real problem. Okay. Because the whole thing with the NSA and, and Edward Snowden has said this, though we've said it on this show before, not just me, but actually David Irvine of MadeSafe even said this too, uh, in a recent special was that, you know, if the NSA, if, if the government, if the U S government was actually concerned with the security of the internet and the security of American citizens, digital lives, they wouldn't make backdoors and they wouldn't use, you know, they would tell people when they find these flaws and vulnerabilities and bugs, they wouldn't do any of that. Okay. I mean, I mean, or, you know, that's what they would do to solve the, you know, to, to keep people secure because having these backdoors open leaves it open for other people. Because it doesn't mean that just the NSA knows about it. All it takes is one really clever cracker to figure it out. So the very fact that these bugs are, these backdoors are built in or that these vulnerabilities, flaws and bugs are not known about is endangering everybody and is completely antithetical to their mission statement. It is totally antithetical. And to make matters worse, the OAuth and OpenID, this is a real problem, is that you know, there's other stories going around where, where people have contacted Microsoft about it. Microsoft's like, yeah, we're aware of the problem. And that's all they're saying. They're not because no one wants to change it. 
I mean, that's, that's what, that's what Grossman said is like, you know, it's going to, it's a won't fix. Okay. Which is, you know, lingo for, uh, you know, the fact that, look, if we fix this, it's going to, it could potentially ruin everything we built. So nobody even wants to fix this. Pretty scary. But again, my recommendation, use LastPass, stop logging in, make separate accounts, you know, for everything. I know it's a pain in the butt. But if you want your security, these are the things you do. I'll be back with more. What does freedom mean? Tune in to LRN.FM to find out. LRN.FM is the Liberty Radio Network, a collection of live talk radio and podcasts, all coming from a principled pro-liberty perspective. LRN.FM show hosts aren't left, right, or conspiracy kooks. You can tune in 24-7 to LRN.FM via your phone, computer, satellite, and more. Listen free anytime at LRN.FM. That's LRN.FM. Would you like to play a game? Game of the Week. It is time for Game of the Week. And don't worry, this section of the show isn't going anywhere. This is the one that, this is a lot of fun for me because I get to bring up the, the, the good times. Uh, you know, because uh, Game of the Week is where I talk about a, a game that maybe went under the radar, uh, got lost in the shuffle with all these quote-unquote AAA releases, just because they're AAA doesn't mean they're good, of course, uh, or it's something that needs a good reinstall or break out the emulator and rock it out. Uh, and <laughs> uh, this is, this week, I've actually got a kind of, got a triple header. Okay, we got a three-way, got a threesome of of gaming pleasure here. And, uh, and this really, this is the real deal. Uh, Blizzard just this week. Okay. And this is for PC only though. One of the games exists for Mac as well, but this is for PC only. And I put the link in the show notes, sovereigntech.com. You can check out the show notes and you can go right to the link and you can download these games totally for free. Three games from Blizzard and they're not Warcraft, Starcraft or Diablo. Okay. (laughs) Because they actually made other games at one point in their, uh, in their illustrious, uh, you know, (laughs) history. Uh, and these are great games. So the first one I want to tell you about is one that I actually, I kind of, I don't know that I didn't, I never played it, uh, but it looks cool. It's called rock and roll racing. Okay. And, uh, it looks kind of like an RC program. Ooh, boy. Talk about a classic. Uh, <laughs> if you never played RC program, gra- grab an NES emulator, crank up RC program anyway. Uh, but, but rock and roll racing, it's kind of a battle racing game it came out for super Nintendo in the nineties. Uh, you know, just, uh, everything came out for super Nintendo in the nineties. Right. Uh, it just, it looks like a really cool game. You know, I, I like those kind of things like uh rush 2049 was a lot of fun as far as like battle racing games go. Uh, and so check that one out, but then also lost Vikings. And this is huge. Lost Vikings came out in 92. This game is awesome. It's just a side scroller, not really a platformer, but it's more of a puzzler. Okay. It has great puzzles. You have three Vikings that you play as, and you can switch between the characters and each one can kind of do a separate thing. And the puzzles still hold up. They're amazing. In fact, Lost Vikings got re-released in the early aughts for Game Boy Advance and it sold gangbusters because everybody knew like, oh, this game's incredible. You know, it just, it had that, uh, you know, it had that, that, uh, that mythological status around it and it's no myth. It's the real deal. So, you know, that's a great one to grab Lost Vikings, a lot of fun, uh, and funny, ironically funny. It's amazing, uh, how, how funny Vikings always seem to be unless it's like that show on the history channel, right? Anyway, uh, the, the real kicker, the real winner here though, that you get to download again, all three of these games are totally quote unquote legal and totally for free. The real kicker here is Blackthorn. 
Now, Blackthorn, that also got a Game Boy Advance release, but I don't think it ever came out for uh, for a console. If it did, um, I, I didn't play it on console. I played it on PC because in the 90s, PC games looked 10 times better than anything out on consoles, by and large, except for maybe, well, no, there, there really, there isn't anything. Like even Star Fox was so advanced, X-Wing made Star Fox, you know, look like a, look like a joke. But Blackthorn, I played this on PC. This was so good. So, so good. And it's a side-scrolling, kind of a platformer, sort of a Contra. Remember Contra? Like, uh, not not like, you know, the the original Contras. Not so much like Contra 3, uh, Alien Wars EX. Of course, that game was amazing. Um, but Contra, you know, where you kind of you kind of a run and gun. Not, not run and gun like a rail shooter, but, you know, you have a gun and, boop, you know, you shoot the whole thing. But here's the unique thing about Blackthorn. What made it so great? was it was the first stealth game, okay, where you, like, you hid. Now, it's two-dimensional, it's 2D, and it's a side-scroller, so you got to play it to see how that works out. But it was so cool. You'd literally, I mean, like, you'd be, you know, running towards, uh, you know, guards or whatever, and then you could just you could just sneak, you know, into this corner. And and the animation was great, because, like, all you'd see is the, per- is the character's eyes. It was so cool. <laughs> it really was. I mean, and it paved the way. Uh, for Metal Gear Solid, which is important because, you know, Metal Gear Solid wasn't really a stealth game uh, until it came out for the PlayStation because there was Metal Gear Solid games before that that came out for NES and, uh, and MSX, and they were just, you know, top-down shooters. Uh, you know, so so it's not like Metal Gear pioneered the, the stealth genre. Uh, Blackthorn was really the game to do that, and not a lot of people want to admit to it. But Blackthorn definitely uh, inspired Metal Gear Solid for PlayStation. Then, of course, that inspired Siphon Filter and Splinter Cell. You know, go down the whole list of them. Blackthorn's really where a lot of them got the start. And it's pretty basic, but it's so cool to to do it in that kind of, uh, you know, to, to see where, where that all evolved from. So check it out. The link is in the show notes for all three games. It'll take you to battle.net, which is Blizzard's big server. And you can download all three games totally for free crank them up on windows only available for windows unfortunately unless of course you have a virtual pc uh, though i think blackthorn might be available for for apple as well anyway go check them out all three killer looking games i'll be back with more do you have a business or product that you are interested in getting advertised to a largely u.s-based audience on an award-winning podcast and radio show airing on hundreds of radio stations let free talk live be a part of your advertising portfolio because the world of audio never fades. Contact me, Brian Sovereign, and I can get an advertising package that will work within your budget. Email me at brian at freetalklive.com. And that's Brian with an I. Again, brian at freetalklive.com. What are you doing? I can't believe I caught you again. You know, Jesus doesn't approve of this little habit of yours. I know, baby, I know it's wrong, but it feels so right. Well, it ain't. But I've been doing it since I was 12 years old. It's nothing but a sinful perversion of nature, if you ask me. But, baby, I don't ever want to stop looking at tech websites, new gadgets, video games, software, or any of that stuff. Well, then I'm leaving. Okay. Bye. Pick of the week. It is time for Pick of the Week, where I generally just geek out and just talk about whatever I want to talk about. It could be a comic book, it could be a movie, TV show, a product. Uh, go 
you know, take your pick, go down the list. <laughs> uh, and last week I did kind of a music roundup and I, I want to sort of do that again, but it's a music roundup as well as a, as well as a topic. Um, and you know, one album, I, I had a laundry list of albums I wanted to talk about last week that had just come out that I thought were really, really great. And one of the, I'm not going to go over all of them. Okay. But one of the ones that I missed, uh, I really feel bad about missing cause it had just came out. It was really fresh. Uh, and I, I love it. I'd gotten an advanced copy, uh, and it was, uh, give them hell by Sebastian Bach. Now, if you don't know Sebastian Bach, Sebastian Bach is, um, he's, he was the lead singer for Skid Row. who's was a very popular band. They were like, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but Guns N' Roses and Skid Row in the early late eighties, early nineties were really neck and neck as far as popularity, kind of like how the, the Beatles and the beach boys were competing for popularity. Well, at the time, I mean, you know, GNR and, and Skid Row were, they were going at it. And uh, amazingly though, Axl Rose and Sebastian Bach are great friends, which is, I mean, it's just, if you know anything about Axl Rose, it's incredible. And, uh, and Axl Rose will actually work with Sebastian Bach, uh, you know, to, to get music out there, which is an amazing feat in itself. In fact, like, uh, Baz's, uh, Sebastian Bach's nickname, uh, Baz's, uh, you know, what, a couple albums back, Angel Down, uh, he actually got, uh, you know, he got Axl Rose to do, to, to help him out with some production on that. It was phenomenal. Great album too. Uh, Kicking and Screaming came out after Angel Down. Not necessarily the best, uh, but, uh, but Give Him Hell, I listened to. I loved it. I thought it was just a great album. It's like number one on the rock charts on iTunes, I think. I mean, it's, it, it did pretty, at least for a day, maybe it was. It did pretty well. So, you know, total shout out to Baz. I love Baz. Uh, he actually, you know, I, I had the pleasure of seeing him. He was in New York City doing... Uh, he was, he was playing the lead in a Broadway play in Jekyll and Hyde. Yes, it's Jekyll, not Jekyll. Um, but in Jekyll and Hyde, he played Dr. Jekyll and it was, it was, it was wild. He, he did a, a phenomenal job. So check it out. Give him hell. Great. Uh, don't give Baz hell, but listen to the album. Give it hell. It was, it's, it's really a, really a great, great piece of work. Um, anyway, enough about Baz. I want to talk about what I really want to talk about is uh michael jackson now a lot of times on sovereign tech you know i have been doing this for about two years and i've made you know comments here and there uh to you know of, of personal taste and things like that and so if you've been listening for a while you're aware that i am a huge michael jackson fan okay uh, and if you haven't been listening for a while now you know i'm a huge michael jackson fan have been my entire life um i you know, I actually, I had a custom shirt made that said, of course it was black, but it said, you know, I still listen to Michael Jackson. I had that shirt made in 2004. Okay. Uh, he was still alive. <laughs> and the reason, you know, I made that shirt is because no one else was listening to him. Um, I even, I was, you know, I, I, I could tell you a story. Maybe I won't tell it to you right now, but, uh, I, <laughs> I, well, basically I got accused of theft, uh, because I was at a Walmart in Rome, New York in 2001, picking up a copy of Michael, of Michael's new album, Invincible in 2001. Most people don't even know that he had a new album come out in 2001, of course, but he did all new music. It was fantastic. I mean, yeah, the, the song, you rock my world, the single off of it. A lot of people knew that, but not a lot of people were necessarily, you know, breaking down the doors like they used to in the eighties and nineties to get their hands on his latest album. They didn't care. Uh, and it was, you know, I mean, it's a great album, 2000 Watts, uh, Threatened, which has Rod Serling on it. Uh, I mean, just, you know, 
the the unbreakable the song on there privacy whatever happens there's so many great songs uh, butterflies i love butterflies great song uh so awesome awesome album and suffice to say you know i'm i'm a huge fan okay uh in fact i even i still have i have albums of music that uh of music that has yet to be released okay and i'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute so this week there was the iHeartRadio Music Awards and the big reveal, the big deal was that like Usher danced like Michael Jackson and Justin Timberlake uh, lent his quote unquote talent uh, to, to a song that's being released off of a new Michael Jackson album that's coming out on May 9th or May 13th. There's some confusion on that. Nice little eight, eight song album, although there's a deluxe edition with 17 songs on it. The, the other songs just being the original demo versions of the, the songs that, that got polished up uh, for this release. And uh, they, they did a song called love never felt so good. Okay. And uh, you know, I don't, I don't mind other artists getting mixed in with it. In fact, like the other posthumous album that came out a couple of years ago, uh, Michael, which was pretty good, had that, had the good song, hold my hand with Akon. I like that. And, uh, also I really loved, uh, the song monster off of that album by, um, you know, that, that, uh, Fiddy was in Fiddy sent, uh, that, that he did with, with Michael on there. And that, that was, that was great. And of course, all this is being done after his death from, you know, in 2009. Um, and it's great work. I, I, I totally appreciate that, but there's a problem with all of this. And I have two problems. My first problem that I'm going to bring up, okay, with the song love never felt so good. It was a good song. Okay. It was originally written in 1983. You know, and, and, and you can definitely, you know, yeah, it's Michael's, you know, classic good time beats, but here's the problem with that is that Michael Jackson was such a perfectionist. Okay. He was such a, you know, he always a very forward thinking guy. So ahead of his time, obviously he pushed so much forward, not just in the music industry, but in the entertainment industry and other industries in general, uh, that, I don't think he'd want to release a song from 1983. Otherwise he would have released it in 1983. I think it's almost insulting to, I mean, I'm still, I'm going to get my hands on this album. Okay. I've listened to, I've gotten previews of some of the other songs. It's all good stuff. It's all classic Michael. And yes, you can still enjoy it now because you know, music in the eighties is by and large the best anyway. Right. But you know, there's really, <laughs> he wouldn't have done it. And in fact, it's, it's kind of problematic because like I said, I have albums of, of, of MJ where they, it's stuff that he wrote very recently as in the past, maybe, you know, seven, eight years that never, that is yet to see the light of day. And none of it's getting released on this album either. And it certainly wasn't in, uh, in the edition of Michael. Okay. Like there's one, you can check it out on YouTube. It's called let me let go. Awesome song. It has such a great groove. Uh, really, I mean, you can just feel it. It's so good. Uh, and, you know, that, that is yet to come out. Of course, you know, when they said they were doing these posthumous things, they admitted that, yeah, we've got like 11 albums worth of stuff to release. So, but again, I don't think as far as the older stuff, like this, like, like uh, Love Never Felt So Good from 83, I think that's crap because if he wanted to release it, he would have. So that's kind of insulting. But here's here's the real insult is that when they released this and they did the big performance on iHeartRadio, 
they, you know, suddenly Twitter was all alight with hashtag Michael Jackson. Oh, I love Michael Jackson. Oh, Michael Jackson's amazing. Oh, I've always been a fan. Oh, the king is still alive. Oh, you know, all this, uh, all the, you know, the showering of praise and all this shit. And all I could think the whole time is where were these people five years ago? Where were you? Especially when he needed you. Okay. Like I mentioned earlier, I talked earlier about how, Hey, yeah, I, I, you know, I have this shirt that says, I still listen to Michael Jackson. Do you know what inspired me? Like I said, I already told you earlier what inspired me to make that shirt because nobody else listened to him. Where are all these people coming from? And like, I look on the Twitter accounts cause I wanted to know for myself. I'm like, well, maybe these people are just like really young. They're like 16 or something. No, these people are in their thirties or forties. And you can say, well, people's tastes change. No, this isn't a matter of taste. This is not a matter of taste. Because Michael Jackson's dead. And you know what killed him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He overdosed on morphine. A, a doctor helped him out, assisted suicide, blah, 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 whatever. Forget the official shit. What killed him is that people wouldn't leave him alone. He had the media saying, oh, he's, uh, you know, he, he suddenly he's white and he used to be black. He's in an oxygen chamber. He's raping children. And then it wasn't just the media. Everybody else was just following suit, saying whatever the media said about him. And it's depressing because you know what? I like to think that there isn't a, a herd mentality that people do think for themselves. But guess what? This proved to me that people don't. This proved to me the absolute power of the media, that if they tell you to like it, 90% of the people on the planet Earth are going to fucking like it. Even if it's directly contradictory to what they said just four or five years ago. It's bullshit. And it's these same people right now saying, oh, oh, the king, he's still here. Oh, I can feel his presence. It's the same people who are saying that sicko, that freak, that rapist. I wish someone would put him in jail. I can't believe it. Or like the people that said about Michael, oh, he's a Muslim now. He's turned. He's blah, blah, blah. I'd rather him be a Muslim than a, than a Jehovah witness. Holy shit. People have no idea. Okay, we mentioned earlier in the show, I played that clip from B5 where it said there's only one rule. Be kind to each other. Yes, let's be kind to each other. Because you know what I see? I see scary things happening here. Okay, because there's people going nuts after like Miley Cyrus saying, oh, that sick bitch. That whore. Dancing around like some cheap whore. Do you have any idea what you're doing to these people? Because they hear it. They can't not. The media plays it all over the place and the media ain't helping. He's gone. He got on those. Michael Jackson got on those drugs. I guarantee it out of the pressures. I mean, he had a terrible traumatic life. That's, you know, a child, a, you know, a terrible uh, traumatic childhood. That's for starters. Okay. And then what happens is, is he tries to recapture that childhood later on in life and people call him a rapist. You tell me you wouldn't start 
taking drugs or drinking or doing something if the whole world's telling you that you're slime. And then this, this is ridiculous. Now that he's dead, oh, now that he's dead, we can all love him. Now it's okay because now he won't do anything that we consider odd. Well, fuck odd. Fuck all of that. You need this whole idea of telling people, you know, of only liking people after they're gone. That has to stop. What I want you to do is just, just tell them, you know, tell somebody that you really appreciate their work. Tell them you appreciate their work somehow. Tweet it at them. I don't care. Just tell them. Let's put a stop to this. We need to appreciate people in their own time. Carpe Lucem. Sorry about that. I'll be back to normal next week. This has been Sovereign Tech. Visit us at SovereignTech.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N-Tech.com. There you can connect with us, see more of what you've heard on today's show, and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is open source. We encourage you to share. Later, nerds. Nerds.